Hey, Glenn Wilden. Hey, LaDont. So, Glenn, I have been working on how to introduce this episode's pop culture happy hour topic. It's the film Logan, Lucky. Uh So far, I have Steven Soderbergh is like a box of chocolates. Mm. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, take another pass at that. True, though, right? Sex, Lies, and Videotape all the way back in 1989, and then so much stuff out of sight. The Ocean's Eleven movies, Traffic, Aaron Brockovich, Magic Mike, oh, and, and Haywire, which is great. Yeah, but that doesn't justify a Forrest Gump reference. No, it doesn't. Fine. Back to Logan Lucky. Channing Tatum and Adam Driver play brothers who decide to rob a racetrack. They enlist a ragtag group of accomplices, including a convict played uh, enthusiastically by Daniel Craig. That's right. And we're going to talk about it today with a couple of great panelists. So let's get to it. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Paramount Pictures. Mother is a new psychological thriller from Darren Aronofsky, the director of Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream. A couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence, starring Academy Award winners Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, and Academy Award nominees Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. Mother arrives in theaters September 15th. Before we get started here in Historic Studio 44, let's introduce our other panelists besides me and Glenn. Chris Klimek, welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. I'm happy to serve as your NASCAR not expert. That's right. Pleasure to have you as always. And with us from New York is the very busy writer, our (laughs) friend Danielle Henderson. Hi, Danielle. Hi, guys. I'm very happy to be back. It's it's wonderful to have you. It's been way too long. Too long. And uh, and you get to be here to talk about uh, Steven Soderbergh movie. Now, before we get uh, started with this, I do want to lay a little bit of a foundation. Uh, Danielle, are you a Soderbergh person? You know, I am, but not in not in an annoying way. Okay. You know, like I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> looking for all the ways that he's going to change cinema. I just want to kind of go in and I know right. that I'm going to, uh, when I see his movies, I know that they will be enjoyable and that I will laugh. Yeah. All right. How about you, Chris? Soderbergh? Yeah. Very, very high on him generally. Like happy to have him back making features again. That's right. He's one of these guys who is sort of... Uh, I don't know. The word retirement seems kind of strange when yeah. it's really just kind of taking a break because you can't. How about you, Glenn Soderbergh? Yeah, sure. His kind of uh, workmanlike stuff, his yeah. straight ahead stuff, and also the stuff that's a little bit more um, out of left field. Yeah. I mean, I think he's the first one that I heard about who was kind of the one for them and one for me. Yeah. You know, that he was right. kind of making popular stuff and then also kind of weirder stuff. One of the funny things about him is I tend to go a little bit more for the popular stuff that he does. I love Magic Mike. I love... His Ocean's Eleven is one. Yeah, of my I mean that, that's his movies. his biggest hit ever yeah. by by a large yeah. margin. But I mean, I, you know, he makes so many movies. It, it seems like he does like you know one for them, like three or four for me. Right. So Logan Lucky. I don't know about you guys, but I hadn't heard a lot about this movie until relatively recently, yeah. and all of a sudden I saw a trailer for it. Yeah, we'll talk about that. There's a very good reason for that because <laughs> yeah. he kind of held off on the marketing uh, in a big way because he distributed it himself. Yeah. Did you have that experience, Danielle? I did. I I was sitting in the theater. Uh, um, but I saw this trailer and I thought, not only is he prolific in a way that, you know, again, like the one one for me, one for them, but he's very sneaky about his releases sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't quite know when he's going to have something come out. And I think that 
for me, it adds to the fun and the mystery of what he's doing. But I also wonder if for him, that's kind of a better way to work, if that's a more interesting way to to produce things. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, Glenn mentioned the kind of the different approach to this one. He, as I understand it, he basically sold the foreign rights first and used that money to kind of finance the movie. And there's not really a a, a studio in a traditional sense. Uh, He sort of made it more himself, which, of course, you can if you are him. And I think the mark of that that I noticed was, on the one hand, this is a heist movie, right? So Channing Tatum and Adam Driver are going to rob the racetrack with a, a gang of accomplices, a very not only a very familiar premise in general, but a familiar premise for him. But then late in the film, I think without spoiling anything, you can say, late in the film, when Hilary Swank enters this movie, it's in a very kind of unconventional place for a significant character to be introduced. And that was where I most clearly felt a studio, a traditional studio, might not have gone for that structurally. Right. It took me a while to acclimate to this film, to calibrate my reaction to the film, because uh, for the first few, like almost half an hour of it, I, I think I was sitting in the wrong movie. Because it has the trappings of a Cohen-esque farce, a satire, yeah. it has really thick accents and all these genre elements, but the tone isn't arch. It isn't over the top. I mean, there's a couple of brothers played by Jack Quaid and Brian Gleason who are a little bit, like, yeah. they belong in a Cohen. Well, those guys. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and uh, there's also a Seth MacFarlane character that I think Ugh. is kind of out of tune with the rest of the movie. That's, yeah. that's true. But the rest of it, especially Tatum and Driver, are playing it pretty close to the vest. Yeah. And so turns out that satire without archness is bad satire. <laughs> it's not funny. And I kept sitting there, why am I not laughing at this thing? And then I think the film instructs you how to watch it. Because when, we can we can say this without spoiling much, there's a heist. Yeah. <laughs> and then something happens after the heist. A big chunk of this film happens after the heist. Mm-hmm. In which case, uh, and after the heist, they are being uh, thought of by the public as the uh, redneck robbers, the hillbilly heist. And that's the story the film is pitching you, but you find out that these characters are smarter than you think they are in the first half an hour of the film. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. So it's selling you a story of this film yeah. that it sort of upends in a way. So it's uh, it was an interesting surprise, uh, yeah. and that's how I kind of acclimated to the, to the picture. Yeah, how'd you like it, Danielle? I had a similar reaction to Glenn in that I was a little displaced for the first half hour or so, but I was laughing from start to finish. I thought it was so funny, and it wasn't just what they were saying. It was just all these strange little motions and the things that Soderbergh captures very well about how people communicate with each other in unspoken ways. And I just thought it was hilarious. And I didn't mind that I was along for the ride. It was just really charming to me from from the beginning. And I was, I always, I kind of have a little bit of a, a cringe factor reaction, even a tiny one when I hear, you know, these traditional big name actors, um, you know, kind of engaging with what would be I guess classified as a, a lower class accent right, or right. a different class of person. But I think that they did justice to it enough for me to be able to kind of eventually 
just get into the the story. Yeah. Um, I didn't spend the whole movie cringing that they were, because it didn't feel like they were making fun of, of West Virginia where the right. movie is set. No, it felt I don't, like they yeah, were I don't think they it. were. I don't think they were. How about you, Chris? What well, you I, th- I think I called this wrong because I thought it did seem a little condescending and then I wrote about the movie and then I saw it again and I didn't have that impression the second time. I mean, I, you know, a lot of the key players here, they have sort of red country credentials. I mean, Soderbergh is from Georgia, went to school in Louisiana. Channing Tatum, you know, grew up in Florida. Adam Driver was in the Marine Corps. So I I mean, these these people... They didn't all just bounce right out of Yale drama yeah, school yeah, in exactly, every case. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I actually was the last person in the world to warm up to Adam Driver, but I think he's very, very funny in, in this movie. Mm-hmm. This film is shaggy in a way that, that Soderbergh's more commercial stuff usually isn't. And I, I kind of pivoted back and forth on whether I thought that was something that was intentional and fully within his control or not. You know, there is some plotting stuff here that I, yeah. you know, like I can explain to you the, the plot of Ocean's Eleven, however far-fetched it is. I understand each step. There's a bit in here with like getting roaches with different color nail polish I know, on I, know, I, I understand don't know what that part. The, you do? Okay. I understand I, that I, part. I, please explain it to me. I, I, I understand that part. <laughs> put that together at all. But there is a bunch of stuff that I didn't understand. But then I remembered that it also took me a while through, uh, several times through Ocean's Eleven, which I've seen many times. It's very rewatchable. There are things in Ocean's Eleven that the first couple times I didn't really notice or figure out that that was how the pieces fit together. You know, I think often in a heist movie, there's a moment where they they suddenly give you the information that there's more to this heist than the plan that you heard. When they do that in this movie, I actually felt like it went by so fast that I was like, I'm going to have to see that again because I got lost (laughs) in the stuff. But like Danielle, I didn't really mind because I thought the people were so funny and interesting. And I do... I give Soderbergh a lot of credit for being among the early people who thought Channing Tatum was interesting. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he had started out as a uh, an Abercrombie and Fitch model, yes, and that was did. the first time I heard of him. And then in Step Up, which, by the way, if you've never seen Step Up, delightful. And he was kind of a meaty, gorgeous dancer guy. Mm-hmm. And he still is that, and he's wonderful. And if you see him dance, he's still a wonderful dancer. But... You know, when people started to think he was interesting, that started to happen in a couple of these Steven Soderbergh movies were a big part of that. Well, you know, another another actor who went from being kind of a pretty charming guy to being taken seriously once he made a bunch of movies with Steven Soderbergh was George Clooney. That's true. Uh, So if you were to dig into the surface of a Coen Brothers film, like, say, Raising Arizona, which this on the surface reminds you of. It does, uh, You get nothing but goof. It's goof all the way down to the bottom. I think that's right. Here, you get an actual concern and an actual compassion for these characters. Uh, The writer Anne Helen Peterson had a, a piece in BuzzFeed about this film where she says, look to the very first thing that happened which is a scene between Channing Tatum and his daughter. I love that little scene. Where he is telling her about why he loves the song Take Me Home Country Roads, which, of course, was not written by anybody who had ever set foot in West Virginia. (laughs) But that's the whole point. He likes the story. That's what I was trying to say before about how this is selling you the story of these Hicks rubes doing a redneck robbery. And yet it wants to spend time pushing against that and delighting in the fact that you are, you might be, underestimating these characters yeah, and then surprising you. Yeah. Like the broad, goofy stuff, right, I think works better with Daniel Craig, who plays a kind of a safe cracker. Introducing Daniel Craig? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Whose name is Joe Bang. And I, which is just one of those... I love that. I love. Yeah, you don't ever want to just call him Joe. I love somebody who will actually call the safe cracker Joe Bang. Uh-huh. That I thought worked well. I admit I I am not a Seth MacFarlane person, so my back 
gets a little prickly when I see Seth MacFarlane anyway. But I just didn't think that character was needed in this movie no. at all. But don't dismiss his album of Christmas standards. <laughs> well, uh, see. Because I'm, I'm going to stick up for that. Watch me dismiss it oh. roundly <laughs> without having ever even heard it. I can't believe that. Yeah. No, he, he seemed the most out of place in this film. And it seemed almost like... It didn't seem like he was doing a parody of himself or, or, or any kind of active parody. It seemed like he was doing something where he had license to be obnoxious and he took it way farther than it needed to go. I think a little yeah. subtlety would have helped this character a lot. Well, yeah, and they're all broad, you know what I mean? But there was yeah. something about this, like, why did he have to be British? And Right. I well, know. I mean, this is an example of, like, he's not in the same movie that these other actors are, where they are reining it in and actually trying to find yeah. a heart to their characters, yeah. and he's not concerned. He doesn't have to be necessarily, yeah. because he is a bit part. But, uh, you know, similarly, uh, David Denman, who plays the character of Katie Holmes' new husband. Yeah, uh, Katie Holmes plays Channing Tatum. Ex-wife. Uh, ex-wife. That poor guy. Like, that actor <laughs> just plays that guy nowadays. That's all he does. <laughs> this true. kind of uh, lumbering jerk of a dude. And yeah. uh, he does it well. But yeah. again, not a lot of nuance there, not a lot of layers yeah. to it. But uh, yeah, I really dug this it. Is, this is the same actor who played Roy on the, uh, the U.S. version of The Office. That's exactly he's, it. He's very much Roy 10 years later. Well, that, that's that's a bit of a shame to be invited into a Soderbergh movie to play uh, a type, a stock character, because, I mean, Soderbergh is great with actors, right? Actors who are good in nothing else are, are good in Soderbergh films. And I, I think that is his Jennifer greatest Lopez. Strength. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to say it, but I mean, I'm, I'm well, glad that I, she did. I love and respect her as a kind of a musical performer. I don't know that I've ever seen an acting performance from her that I thought was as good yeah. as Out of Sight. And Out of Sight or The Limey are kind of tied for Soderbergh's yeah. best to, to me. And he yeah. made him back to back. Yeah. So the way he distributed this film is basically, as we said, pretty much himself. He kept all of the marketing money, all the marketing budget mm-hmm. back. And so that about 80% of all the marketing happened pretty much in the last week or so in the run-up mm-hmm. to the film's release. Yeah. And that's why you didn't hear about it. And that's why you didn't see a lot of trailers. There, there was another movie named Logan this year that, there is uh, that. had a big campaign that's behind true. it. So maybe to avoid you know, crossing the streams. And they're also trying to avoid the whole New York, L.A. distribution. They they start The premiere was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and they promoted it by taking Tatum on a road trip through NASCAR country. There was a video that of him dancing with a, a, yeah. a convenience store just clerk. Just him and Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> just, uh, getting, <laughs> getting to know America. <laughs> so the big question, a lot of people were looking at this, so is this going to work? Can you get outside the studio system to the mm-hmm. extent that he wants to? Yeah. This film was expected to make $10 million this yeah. weekend. It made eight. Yeah. So that's a no-ish to answer to that question. Yeah. But they're also they're also saying, we, we, we want to see this thing. There's nothing happening in August, so this thing right. is going to still have legs because it is getting good reviews and it's getting good word of mouth so there's a chance it has legs yeah i also want to talk a little bit about adam driver because because chris mentioned adam driver and you know i go back with adam driver to certainly past girls and you know he was very weird on an episode of law and order or svu i can't remember which like everyone else has been Uh I found this an interesting use of him because it is kind of soulful. Danielle, I want to hear about your feelings about Adam Driver. I am like Chris, um, not necessarily a late convert, but I don't think I really appreciated his abilities as an actor until very recently. What I really love is that I saw this video with him and he he runs a charity or he promotes a charity um, and he does 
art and he he and some friends do plays for military personnel and people who have been harmed in the war and hearing him talk very eloquently about his own education, his own life, his own experiences and how he uses that in his art is what really turned me around. So it actually wasn't a performance of his per se, just kind of seeing him be just very honest and and emotional about um, how he does that was really interesting to me. And I I loved this movie in so many ways, but particularly because of his character. I think it's not just that he pulls it close and you know plays it close to the vest a little bit. Like there's a kind of a a simmering anger or like a simmering darkness, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, about his character. Yeah, he doesn't play a pitiful character. You know, he's kind of wind, and and there's a part where. You know, he's a bartender and Channing Tatum is sitting at the other end of the bar and and as brothers. And he says to this guy who's, you know, the Seth MacFarlane character who's messing with the Adam Driver character, Channing Tatum just says, you know, he went that's from the Iraq war. He stepped up when others fell back. Mm-hmm. And I think that that to me really cinched what that character was all about, that he's not someone who looks at his life pitifully or through the lens of victimhood. So the intelligence that comes out later in this movie uh, with this family, again, it's really based in the heart of who they are as as people in the world and who, how they see themselves versus what people tell them how they should see how they should see right. themselves. Right. And you know, you could have made a decision in the, in this film to have somebody else play it, that Adam Driver character who would see that character as more silly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there's a lot of danger in that, not only because, not only because I guess Channing Tatum is more the the sort of central protagonist, maybe. Adam Driver is a slight second place well, and to, that, to And that's to sort of that. their, their hierarchy as brothers, right. too. Exactly. Is, you know, he's grown exactly. up in the shadow of his right. football star right. brother. But also because he is an actor who does not have a hand missing, who is playing a character who does have a hand missing, where there is some physical comedy around that, that's a really dangerous kind of area mm-hmm. as far as comedy. In a way, the it's the same way that people talked about in Rain Man, that the easier performance actually is maybe the Dustin Hoffman yeah. performance, mm-hmm. because you can imagine as an actor sort of easily what that character is, even though... It's very challenging to then do it. I feel like the Channing Tatum character is sort of the like, yes, he's the good dad. He's the, you know, he's got a daughter. He's a he's a good, smart dude, un- often underestimated. I feel like the Adam Driver character needed more from the actor to kind of bring mm. him up as far as kind of what the sh- shadings were. Well, if we can get into this without talking about whether or not the screenwriter is a real person, and I, I decided to just believe the, right. the press notes and her her bio about being from West Virginia, and you know, so the there's the, been a lot of talk about whether Rebecca Blunt is a real whether person, whether she's one of yes, uh, <laughs> or... one of the, the Peter Andrews brothers, uh-huh. and the, yeah, you know, I hope she's a real person. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is sort of the companion film to a movie that came out at this time last year, Hell or High Water, mm-hmm. which is, you know, more more somber in tone. But it's mm-hmm. another story about brothers who who pull off kind of an audacious crime and who have, uh, you know, a very personal motive for doing it. It's not just that they're greedy. And that movie kind of lands in a way that, that this one, I think, kind of, even though this is a comedy primarily, it doesn't quite 
stick the landing the way that one did. Like I, I didn't feel that, that, the that emotional pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's what I. No, I, I think Hell or High Water like, is a more developed movie emotionally. Yeah, like I, 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 whoever, I, I, I think this this could have used an, another draft to sort of shade in some of those those character elements that you talked about, and also I don't know to convince us that the structural thing that you talked about, we're bringing in the investigation and Hillary Swank mm-hmm. late. You know, just show us that that's a choice and not a yeah. not a loose end. No, I but I think it isn't, right? I think it's not a loose end. I think that is a choice. And like I said, that's the part where I thought it's that stuff where you do kind of a weird thing. A character comes in at a weird time that I feel like that's where studios get involved and mm-hmm. they say, oh, no, you got to introduce her at the beginning. So that's sort of mm-hmm. of simmering behind this or, or else like not make such a big deal out of who she is. I don't know. Right. With both Hillary Swank and Katie Holmes, I think that they they were used well. I think that the feeling that I got immediately was, oh, yeah, them. I'm not sick of them yet. You know, <laughs> like, oh, it's not like a big comeback role for either of them. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of reminds you of their gravitas and what they can actually do. And, that, and I like kind of seeing actresses especially make choices to not always be center stage. Right. And uh, speaking of uh, fun and uh, well used, uh, Daniel Craig. Now, I am really looking forward to Daniel Craig's post-Bond career now because uh, he brings... Not as much as he is. Exactly. <laughs> he brings nothing of this sense of playfulness to Bond anymore. No, it's true. He is not even... Oh, doesn't it even was, it was there like until this. Spectre. Spectre, I think he's just bored in that movie. Uh, yeah. Yes, I guess. He, so he's got one more film in him, probably, Bond film in him, and then he can go and do more stuff like this. And he's really funny in he this. He is really funny he's in this. Really great. There's also just a lot of, like, fun goofery in mm-hmm. this movie. There's a lot of stuff that takes place in the, in the local jail. And a lot of that stuff <laughs> is really <laughs> funny. I think. And we haven't we haven't talked about Riley Keough yet, but I think she had one of the funniest scenes in the movie very early on. Uh-huh. She's a, a Logan, Melly, and she and Channing Tatum have this scene in this hairstylist, this salon, very early on that just really cracked me up throughout and was one of the best ways I've ever seen the tenor and the temperament of a character introduced in a long time. Yeah. I think I'm going to like it the much better the second time I yeah. see it. A, to catch the stuff I missed. But also now I know what it is. You mm-hmm. know? Now I have a right. sense of what it is. And I'm yeah. not going to be still waiting for wacky goofs. Uh, I'm going to be watching an actual smaller film. It was kind of interesting and cool that NASCAR is the center of this film in so many ways. Because, again, loath as we are to talk about our various bubbles that we live in, right. this is a huge sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that when they started talking about the amount of money that comes in, on a single day, it was jarring to me. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was really jarring. And I think that it's it's easy to forget the lives people live and the things that they spend their money on are not always the things that we see on Amazon. No, I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. And I, was, I too, was happy to see some attention given to, uh, to the world of NASCAR. All right. Well, I will be curious to hear what those of you who have seen Logan Lucky think of it. Uh, I think that uh, we all found it worth a, worth a viewing for uh-huh. sure. Yes. Up to Danielle and I, I think both uh, kind of liked it quite a lot. And uh, so come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet at us at PCHH and tell us what you think about this movie or other Steven Soderbergh movies. So uh, I appreciate all of you guys being here. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Danielle. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Linda. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. And before we go, just be aware that our fall TV preview with NPR TV critic Eric Deggins will be coming up later this week, including our TV pool where we make some bets on things that are going to succeed and the things that we are going to like. So we will see you all then.